the important thing you've got to look at is the lifetime value of a customer. What is your lifetime value of a customer for an investor, for someone else involved in the deal? If you invest half of that or 10% of that into acquiring the customer, then you've got yourself a pretty good business model. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Creative listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm Adam Adams. This is possibly the longest running every other day real estate <laughs> podcast. We only talk about the out-of-box strategies that move your business forward. We don't get into that non-creative stuff. With us today, Joe Fairless. How are you doing today, Joe? Adam, I recognize that introduction from somewhere. I just can't place it though. It seems eerily familiar. As it should, my friend. A little about Joe. He's the host of the longest running daily real estate podcast, three-time author and host of the Best Ever Conference, which you can go for the biggest discount. So Creative Real Estate Podcast listeners, if you recognize his name, that's likely because you're a loyal Creative Real Estate Podcast listener and you heard him on episode 19. Back in episode 19, Joe Fairless had a $230 million portfolio. It sounds like a lot, but right now you have $400 million? Yeah, a little, uh, over 400, but yeah, close enough. Yep. Excellent. Well, tell us a little bit for anybody who doesn't know you, tell us a little bit about your background and we'll get into the episode. Sure. Well, uh, looking forward to our conversation. It's always a fun and enlightening conversation when, when, we, when we talk. And a little bit about me, from Texas, moved to New York City after I graduated. My, I made 30000 bucks as a junior project manager and then climbed the corporate ladder relatively quickly, became the youngest VP of a New York City advertising agency, was investing in single family homes along the way once I had some money, kept my living expenses relatively low for New York City standards. My friends would make fun of me because I was living like a college kid, even though I was 10 years graduated from college. But I was saving up money when um, perhaps they weren't. And uh, so I started investing in real estate on the side and then ultimately became apathetic towards my full-time job and wanted more. At first, I was trying to achieve a monetary goal. I wanted to make $100,000 in salary by my 30th birthday. I accomplished that around my 28th birthday. And I was like, okay, it wasn't quite what I thought I would, it wasn't, I'm not feeling quite what I thought I would feel when I accomplished this goal. And so I realized I needed something more. So I uh, attempted to get that by going to a, an agency that did more philanthropic work, worked with nonprofits. And it was a little bit better, but ultimately I decided I need to leave the industry and um, do some other things. And so I sampled life experiences uh, that's what I call it, where I was testing certain things while I had my full-time job. For example, I was interviewing people for a book. I was doing stand-up comedy. I failed at that miserably. I, I performed in two places. One of them has since shut down. So that's how good or bad I was. They went out of business afterwards. And I did some other things too. I taught a class on how to buy single-family homes while living in New York City, but investing in where where the numbers make more sense. And ultimately, I landed on apartment investing. And um, so now, as you mentioned, we've, we've got over $400 million, my business partner and I, along with our accredited investors. And all of our portfolio is in Texas, 
we'll be expanding from from Texas, but you know, right now we got a, a good thing going and just a focus really on the execution of those deals. All right, so today we're going to talk about your book, your real estate conference, and I want to get into your best advice ever because I don't think that you always have that opportunity to really dive deep into that one thing that you recommend to others. And then we'll talk about a challenge that you had in your business. But before so, you kind of introduced our, yourself saying Texas, New York, corporate v, earliest, youngest VP, did single family. My first question, how did you keep your expenses low? When you were in New York, what were you doing to actually keep your expenses so low? I lived in an apartment that was, when I first moved in in, oh, what was this, 2006? Well, first, my first apartment was 700 and some dollars, and so was my check every other week from, or twice, twice a month from my advertising career. So I lived in a very dangerous area of, of Brooklyn at the time. I'm not sure where it is now, but it was East Flatbush, Brooklyn, and very dangerous. Statistically speaking, the busiest police precinct in all the five boroughs at the time. So I, one, I lived in a, an area that wasn't desirable for a year, but then for the remaining nine years I was in New York, the way I kept my expenses low was I had a roommate in my apartment had two bedrooms, one hallway, one bathroom, and a tiny kitchen area. That's it. No living room, no extra room um, or anything like that. It had a dorm-style refrigerator that was stained red from some chemical concoction that one of my previous roommates had created. He was a chemistry major. He was going to college at the time, and I don't know what he blew up in there, but it stained the bottom of the refrigerator and melted a little bit of stuff too. And I had those expenses um, low relative to my um, friends who were moving into one-bedroom apartments or even studio apartments as they were getting promoted, whereas I was just having a new Craigslist roommate every year or two, and it kept things interesting. I have some crazy stories from roommates, but perhaps not, not the right forum for, for that. But that was the main way because you know when you live in New York City, eh, I guess most places in the U.S., your your um, rent or your mortgage is going to be your number one expense, and and same with this. So instead of paying, you know, see, my my apartment was it started at seventeen hundred um, divided by two, and then it went all the way up to like twenty one hundred divided by two because I always had a roommate, so I was paying at most like a hundred a thousand fifty bucks. Mm -hmm. a month, which other parts of the world in the US, that might seem like a lot, but in New York, it wasn't. And I was able to save the rest. And oh, and I was in, I was, um, so this isn't a, from an expense standpoint, from on the weekends, I was earning extra income by babysitting. I actually I worked at a daycare in college. I don't know how many people know this, but I worked at a daycare in college. I was called Mr. Joe by a bunch of three and three to five year olds worked worked with a hundred preschoolers. And then after I graduated college, because I was making thirty thousand dollars a year in at the at the full time job, I would take on babysitting gigs on the weekends. And so I would, you know, babysit kids and make um make some extra cash on the side. Very, very interesting. And it's like an apartment complex. You are cutting all of your expenses and you're finding new sources of revenue. Yeah, so way to bring it back. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Okay, so let's chat about this a little bit. So we're already having a couple people in the office read through this 400 and let's, let's look, 423 pages. Mm -hmm. 
That's insane. So it took you to, a year to write this book. Uh, why'd you write it? It fills a void uh, in the industry. If you've got customers before you have a product, then you've got a damn good business model and, and something that's worthwhile to share. And I certainly had heard about others and myself included at the time when I was getting started who needed a step-by-step -step playbook for how to do apartment syndication that uh, wasn't talking about the, the what, but um, was focused on the how. And that's the key with this book. It focuses on the how to do an apartment syndication uh, breaks up into four categories. One is getting the experience. Two is the deal. Three is the money. And four is executing on it. And, um, you know, I, I, I am an apartment syndicator. So why not write about how to syndicate apartments and um, help others along the way? So let me ask you, um, you said it talks about getting the experience. What's, what are the takeaways from that part of the book? Well, I mean, ultimately... At least most people have a challenge of wanting to do larger deals, but not having done a larger deal yet. It's chicken for the egg dilemma. And the solution there is you surround yourself with the right people. And that's not groundbreaking. I mean, that's, that's not revolutionary. Most of the people who are listening have heard that. But there are some tactical things that you can do in order to surround yourself with the right people. On my very first deal, and I talk about this in the book, I brought in the brokers who are representing the seller and they put their commission into the deal and they got 25% ownership in the deal. And then I could talk to my investors and I could say, um, correct, I do not have the experience yet on a large apartment community. However, the brokers who are representing the seller believe in this deal so much, they have agreed to invest their commissions back into the deal and invest alongside with us on it. And that's pretty powerful. So ultimately what you're trying to do, and that's just one example, there are many things you can do to bring on experienced team members, but the, the way you do that is you show alignment of interest with your investors and those experienced team members. You know, there's another tactical thing you can do where you partner up with the property management company, you give them a piece of equity in exchange for them bringing their experience into the deal so that you can then, again, go back to your investors and say, hey, here's how we have alignment of interest with people who have decades of experience so that you proactively address the question of, well, you haven't done this before. And you know, before you go into doing an apartment syndication, I mentioned this in the book, you need to have baseline knowledge of what the heck's going on. So I don't recommend going from wholesaling one single family home to doing an apartment syndication because the learning curve is too steep. Um, however, when you are at the point where, okay, I have the baseline knowledge, now I'm ready to do it, but oh, there's this challenge that most people, 99% of people have come across, by the way, of I don't have the experience, but I want to do a larger deal, then I list some ways to have alignment of interest. And I, I don't know how many I list, probably 10, 15 ways to do that so that you can then partner with the right people and ultimately overcome that challenge. Great. And I've... I host a lot of meetups and I, I see a lot of people that come to me and they, they're missing that key component. So I like that you put it first in the book because it is something where other people, they just really get hung up on it. So it's almost, in my opinion, putting that first is, is a way to say, don't let this be an excuse anymore. So um, I've already had a couple of people 
read this book. And they're a lot faster at reading than me. So it took them a few days. I don't know how they could do that, but it took them a few days. They couldn't put it down. I literally, well, first off, I, I read a review on Amazon a couple of days ago and they mentioned that you referred the book to them. Oh, so, uh, nice. Yeah, grateful for that uh, first. Second is when we were in the final stages of the review process, I literally read the book cover to cover to do a final pass to catch anything in 36 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, the most I've ever read in, in, one, in one sitting-ish. And then third, going back to the experience thing, if someone listening is getting caught up on the experience thing, well, first we've just provided some solutions and then there are more solutions in the book. But perhaps shift the mindset from I don't have the experience, how can I get the experience to how can I mitigate the risk on a deal I do as much as possible? Because ultimately, the investors are asking about your lack of experience because they don't want to lose money. I mean, that's what all roads lead back to capital preservation. So if you ask yourself instead of, I don't have the experience, what do I do? Instead ask, how do I get mitigate the risk on the deal that I do as much as possible, knowing that if I do well, or when I do well on my first deal and my next deal, then there will be a domino effect and a snowball effect where I will get momentum that continues to move and move and move and build and build and build. And when you ask yourself, how can I mitigate the risk as much as possible on the deal, then it just becomes like a natural solution to bring on the right team members and to bring on the expert team members. So it's not a matter of should you do it on your first couple deals. It's a matter of you must do it on your first couple deals because you want to mitigate the risk. Great. As far as doing the deal or finding the deal in the book, do you go over underwriting strategies, rules of thumb, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we go over how we underwrite value-add deals and the assumptions to look at a little bit closer than others, as well as how to find off-market deals in a challenging market. Right now, it's pretty challenging to find a deal. The money is available, relatively speaking, but the deals are not as available. And, you know, there's always a challenge at any point in time. So who cares? It's, there's always solutions. You just got to implement the solutions and, and work harder or be perhaps a little savvier or clever than, than others. And one way that we talk about in the book that I've personally done finding an off-market or finding deals in a tough market is we found the apartment community, all one bedrooms. It was marketed by a broker, bidding process, bid the property way up. Uh, it was at the ceiling of where we would pay. So then we looked across the street, found an owner who was not marketing his property. We approached the owner via a broker who had a relationship with the owner. We knew the broker. That broker helped us get the property across the street, which by the way, happened to be two and three bedroom apartments. And we were then able to go back to the original property, the one that was getting bid up and up and pay top dollar for that one because we were buying it as a portfolio with the off-market property that was across the street that complemented the one bedroom property really well because they had twos and threes. And then in total for the portfolio, we got below market. We were buying it below market because we were buying it two properties in one. So the takeaway is in, an, in a hot market, one tactic, and I talk about this and plus a bunch of others in the book, is look across the street or look next door. If you have a property that you like, but it's on the market, or perhaps you're direct to the seller or the owner, and they're looking for too high of a price, then 
take a look across the street or next door, see if you can get a combo deal. And if that can bring your total transaction costs down, then you might have yourself an opportunity. Wonderful. So the third one is money. My question to you though, is between finding a deal and finding money and answer completely honestly, what really is harder, finding the deal or finding the money? The deal. But it depends on where you're at in your life cycle of a syndic- as a syndicator. Because at first, both. <laughs> For, uh, you know, when we started out, it was both finding a deal because you got to get the credibility with the brokers and the owners and also finding the money because you got to get the credibility with the private investors. Now, I mean, you're asking me what am I, what, what's the biggest challenge now? Absolutely, the deal. Okay, wonderful. On raising equity for closing on the deals, I was going to ask, what do you do, Joe, to raise, the, raise equity? Something that is tactical that men, hopefully out of box, that the listener can take away from. So in terms of what I do to raise equity, and maybe something that's a good takeaway for listeners is I'm strategic about the communities I'm a part of and I go deep within those communities. I read the book Small Giants by Bo Burlingham or uh, Bo Bo something, Bo Burling something. And uh, he talks about, and Small Giants is a book about a small company. So like five people to 500 people. So, you know, depends on how you define small, but that's how he was defining small. And these companies could be doing five hundred million to uh, you know three million dollars or three to five hundred million dollars worth of revenue. Um, so they're they're small, relatively speaking, to larger companies, but they're still well established and doing well. So he he learned how they got to that point and how they thrived. And one thing he identified is that they were entrenched within the communities that they chose to be in, entrenched in. Um, so, for example, um, what I do with um, my communities is I've identified the communities that I'm all in on. Uh, one is Junior Achievement. I'm the board member for Junior Achievement. Two is Texas Tech University. I'm on the Alumni Advisory Board for Texas Tech. And in fact, uh, this will make you feel better about your conference. I um, was awarded um, outstanding alumni at Texas Tech, and it's been an award that you know it, it's it's tough to get. And I did not attend those ceremonies because uh, I, I was not traveling. In addition, Texas Tech Bigger Pockets, so Junior Achievement, Texas Tech, and Bigger Pockets. So what does that mean? I'm focused on those communities. Well, it means that I make it a point to be very available and involved within each of those communities. So how does that, how, what does that look like tactically speaking? Well, tactically speaking, before, we'll go with bigger pockets. Before I had the ability to plunk down a decent chunk of money on advertising on bigger pockets, I was just very involved uh, within bigger pockets. I mean, I was posting 10 times a day, literally every single day. Um, there's some badge you get. I think it's called like the crazy psycho stalker badge or something when you post that frequently on bigger pockets. But I got that badge on bigger pockets and I've posted a whole bunch. I don't post nearly as, uh, no, I don't post really at all um, compared to what I was doing before. But now I've evolved my approach so it's more scalable with my time and um, I'm doing advertising on bigger pockets, which has not started yet. But by the time this airs, it will have, it will have started. Um, with Texas Tech, 
an example is I am on the alumni advisory board and I attend the meeting every year except for this year. But in addition to that, I look for opportunities to be more involved. So I've had a scholarship for Texas Tech students for the last seven, eight years where I fly one or one to two students from Lubbock to New York City and I set them up with advertising agencies that they can shadow or p professionals they can shadow over a weekend. And I've been doing that for a long, long time. In addition, something that happened recently, I, I learned that Texas Tech was having a, a basketball game and they were donating all the proceeds from the sales to shoot victims of a, a school shooting near Houston, Texas. So I then bought $1,000 worth of tickets for people who uh, were um, not able to pay for those tickets locally in Lubbock, Texas, but who could then attend. And then all those ticket proceeds are going donated to you know, victims of a school shooting. You know, I mean, why not? And so that's the type of stuff I consciously look for within each of these communities because I know um, the more value I add within each of the communities, the more good karma I'll build up as a result of it. And it does, make, it does increase business results. There are direct uh, return on investments for spending time every year in Lubbock or you know, doing advertising or being involved on bigger pockets. And the important thing you've got to look at is the lifetime value of a customer. What is your lifetime value of a customer for an investor, for you know, someone else involved in a deal? And whatever that is, if you, if you invest half of that or a fourth of it or 10% or, you know, of that into acquiring the customer, I mean, you've got yourself a pretty good business model. Very nice. Very nice. I think that's one of those things. You know Jason and Peely pretty well. Peely yep. often will Very say... Soon. You need, to you need to rewind that last five minutes and play it again. That's, that's definitely one of those times. A lot of, lot of good insight. Thank you. On the, insight, on the execution of an apartment building, it doesn't just stop when you close, does it? A lot of people talk about how to find apartments, how to get the money, how to you know, get the... Well, that's really it. How to find apartments, how to get the money. That's what most people talk about. They don't talk about the execution of it and the money's made or lost when you execute on these large deals um, more so than how you buy because for the most part, if you get to the finish line, you likely have a, an idea of how to underwrite deals because you've done it so many times. That's the, the, the problem with this dynamic is it takes a lot of deals to underwrite in order to find a deal. Therefore, you've just muscle memory. You've done it many times, so you would naturally get better and better at it. But congratulations, you just closed on a deal. Oh, this is the first deal that you've closed on, and there are no trial runs for this. This is your deal. So make it happen. Execute. And that's where a lot of the money is lost, is on the execution, uh, or gain is on the execution. And so we went into the details of, and when I say we, Theo uh, and I went into details of the execution and, and ways to, there it is, uh, ways to think about and, and actually implement some best in practice asset management techniques. Yeah. And yeah, kudos to Theo um, as well. I'm going to get him on the podcast. He's done some incredible things. Uh, working with you, aligning himself with the right people, everything that he's doing in his business. So uh, yeah, that's why we push that out in front of everybody who is watching because this is both on the um, 
the podcast that people just listen to. But if you guys want, you can pop over to YouTube and look at this and you'll be able to see what we're doing and how we're talking. So there is a couple other things that I wanted to talk about. First is your conference. So if you could just tell us a little bit about why you started the conference and is the brilliance of having a conference somewhere within your book as well to help people get to the next level. Because I know that's a step that, that works for you. Yeah, I, I talk about having a thought leadership platform and the conference certainly is one of them. I discuss having a meetup group, a local meetup group, which you, know, you do in spades and the benefits of that and the benefits of, of hosting one versus just attending one. Because if you have the time and you dedicate your time to attending one, then you'll get a disproportionate uh, greater results when you host a uh, relative to just attending one. So the reason why we did it is because there's a need for a conference that has um, a focus on commercial real estate. This, we, we don't talk about, I don't think, yeah, we don't talk about single family home uh, investing. It's all commercial real estate focused. And the investors in the room are investors who have experience. So this conference, while it would be beneficial to someone who has not done a deal, you might be in over your head if you're brand new to real estate and attending the conference. I think you'll soak up a lot, which is great, but the investors who have done a couple deals and are looking to continue to scale, and in particular within commercial real estate, and I'm talking about anything from multifamily to investing in marinas to raw land, office retail, anything within commercial, this is, this is the place to be in Denver. I completely agree. And I believe what I've taken from that conference, the networking alone, I don't remember how much the ticket costs, but the networking alone is at least worth 10 tickets, at least worth 10 tickets. So Let's take a quick break and then we're going to get into Joe Fairless's best advice ever. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Ecospace Real Estate. Ecospace is a Denver, Colorado-based real estate company with a national reach. They provide a unique offering called Flip Your Home, where they utilize their own internal fix and flip crews to flip their clients' homes prior to listings. Their brokerage clients gain, on average, 23000 of instant equity, which is then taken 100% tax-free. If you'd like to learn more about gaining additional tax-free equity in your home prior to listing, then please visit ecospace.com. All right, Joe Fairless, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I'd say control the money and the deals will come. When you have access to whatever amount of money that you need, then deals tend to be sent your way. And the more financially successful I become, the more and more I, I've witnessed that firsthand. Uh, whereas at the beginning, you know, weren't getting as many deals. Uh, but as we gain bigger and bigger footprint, we get sent deals frequently. And then I personally get sent bunch of deals and a bunch of wacky stuff too. So it, it does uh, necessitate having a, a stronger filter. But when you focus on the money, then deals will come. Now, that's uh, important to, uh, it's important to elaborate on that a little bit. One is a lot of people in you know, single family and you know, smaller residential 
say, hey, find the deal and the money, the money will come. Well, not so much with commercial because if you find the deal and you don't have the money, you're going to have a lot of gray hair after the deal's over if you complete the transaction because it's going to be quite challenging. So you want to have the, the money lined up first. And when I say lined up, you're not, no one's funding anything into an account, but you're speaking to investors, telling them about what you're doing. And you're saying you're learning about their goals. And once you learn about their goals and you talk about what you've, what you're doing, you say, if I find something that can meet your goal of X, Y, Z, would you like me to share it with you? They're all going to say, yes. Yeah. I'd like you to share it with me. And you know, when, once you do that, then, then you uh, acquire enough of those commitments and you know what that dollar, sound, a dollar amount associated to those commitments is by simply asking, okay, roughly, what are you looking to invest if we find something? And now you know the type of deals you can go after and the, the size of deals you can go after. So that would be a very tactical thing that I suggest that those who are continuing to go larger and larger focus on. Let's, let's take it here. What is a challenge that you've had in your own real estate business and how did you overcome it? So I first started buying homes and I was smooth sailing house number one, house number two, house number three. They all cash flowed at least a hundred bucks a month. They all were less than a thousand dollars to be move-in ready. And they all had $10,000 in equity, equity at them at closing, which were my three things I wanted. But then my fourth house, it was uh, bought it from wholesaler, bought it for $35,000, thought it would cost $5,000 to be move-in ready, was not, ended up being $15,000 after I got into it, hired the wrong contractors. Um, actually, it was a family friend and that, that was a, a hot mess. It was, I, was living New, I was living in New York City at the time. The property was in Fort Worth, Texas, where I was from originally, but um, I wasn't visiting the property because I had a full-time job at the time. And after all said and done, I spent $15,000 more on renovations. Uh, the rent for the house was the same, might have been lower than what it was prior to the renovations. And the house was not worth, yeah, it wasn't worth the increase. It didn't increase the value $15,000. So I, I learned a couple things. One is have a business plan and know what that plan takes in order to execute. So I was doing unintentionally or, or subconsciously, I was doing a value add business plan, but I didn't consciously think, oh, I, I got to add value, increase the, increase the rent. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I didn't look at comps. I didn't find the right contract or find the right team. I didn't oversee the project and I didn't run the numbers um, well enough. And uh, as a result, I, I probably lost like $5,000. I was lucky that the market just kept going up. So I was able to get most of my money back out of it. But at the end of the day, I lost $5,000. But the lesson I learned was probably a multi-million dollar lesson because I then applied that to my apartment buildings. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with the final five with Joe Fairley. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Ecospace Real Estate. Ecospace is a Denver, Colorado-based real estate company with a national reach. They provide a unique offering called Flip Your Home, where they utilize their own internal fix and flip crews to flip their clients' homes prior to listings. Their brokerage clients gain, on average, 23000 of instant equity, which is then taken 100% tax-free. If you'd like to learn more about gaining additional tax-free equity in your home prior to listing, 
then please visit ecospace.com. Joe Fairless, what is the most creative deal you've ever done? Probably the, the first one that I mentioned earlier where I, I uh, brought in the brokers for 25% where they put in their commission. I think it's $317,500 commission that they earned and they became owners in the deal and it was a mass release and you know, we, we were able to get in the deal uh, for out of pocket $843,000 um, to control a $6.5 million property. That's awesome. I like that. All right. And then there is a lot more info on that on episode 19. So if you're a listener and you want to really dive deep into that, there's more info on episode 19. Joe, what's a book you recommend? Depends on what you're into, but one of my favorite authors is Robert Greene. And so any, any book that uh, Robert Greene has written, so 48 Laws of Power would be one of them. Great. Where were you five years? Take us back. Paint us the picture, what it looked like for you five years ago. Oh, five years ago. Well, I do a daily journal, but I've been doing it for three years. Otherwise, I just pull up the daily journal and read whatever I was doing five years ago. Five years ago, I was in New York City and I was, I actually, I was closed on my first apartment community, um, ish, we'll say five-ish years ago. Okay. And what did, what was it like when you were trying to raise equity for that 800,000, 843, I think you said? Yeah, 843. community uh, five years ago. Painful, emotional roller coaster. The reason why is because I had investors who had committed and then backed out last minute and that left me in a tight spot. So I ended up getting an appraisal for the property, even though I did not have to since we're getting it via master lease, but I got the appraisal so that I could then use that to share with my investors in hopes of getting a renewed interest from any current investors or investors who had said, no, thank you at first. Got the appraisal. It appraised for around three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars more than what we're buying it for. And you know, after that, I shared it with my investors. They saw the equity we got going into it, and it worked out. Was your podcast running five years ago? No, uh, I think around around uh, by the time this interview airs, probably around seventeen hundred episodes. So seventeen hundred days ago, whatever that math is. Okay. Okay. All right. So where did you see yourself? I mean. Now is five years from then. Did you see yourself doing what you're doing? No, I actually have a, a note. It's behind me. So behind me is like my inspiration wall. And I have notes from investors and flyers from our properties and stuff like that. And one of the things I have printed is an email that I wrote to my family, uh, November 12, 2012, I believe. It was definitely 2012. I don't remember the exact date. And I said... I came, I conquered, but I don't want to do advertising anymore at all. I don't know if I conquered, by the way, I just said it. And I want to focus on helping others with their career as well as pursuing real estate. And so it wasn't, there wasn't a clear vision at first uh, in terms of doing apartment syndication, but I realized as a result of teaching the class uh, on, on investing in single family homes, people who, who attended the class, they said, well, if you do something larger, let me know. I'd like to partner with you. And going back to what I said earlier, if you have customers before you have a product, then you've got something pretty good. And so I realized my customers, investors wanted to 
um, partner up, but I did not have a product, a apartment community. So then the light bulb went off. All right. And where will you be five years from today? What do you see? Executing on deals. You know, that's the main focus is as, as long as we continue to execute well on our current portfolio, then we'll grow organically and things will sort themselves out. Awesome. Awesome. How many, how many doors? So you've got $4 million. Where do you see yourself five years from today? Uh, 400 million. Yeah. A couple zeros. (laughs) Where do I see myself? What? In five years from today, do you have a portfolio size that you expect? I don't care. I don't, I don't care at all. I mean, I say a billion dollars before my 40th birthday. I'm 36 right now, but I I really don't care about that. It's it's kind of just, uh, just something to, to throw up there. Our focus is performing. As long as we perform, we'll continue to grow organically. Investors will continue to invest with us. I mean, I have an investor who's invested with us 11 times. He's in 11 of our deals. And, you know, we'll, we'll just, we'll keep rolling. And, you know, what, wherever we grow to, we'll, we'll grow to. And we already kind of talked about how you give back. How do people find you? How do they find your podcast, the best real estate investing advice ever show? Or how do they just get to know you a little bit more? Yep. Uh, if you're, well, just go to joefairless.com. You can, you know, if you're wanting to passively invest, go to investwithjoe.com. If you're wanting to actively do apartment syndications then go on Amazon, read the reviews from the book, the uh, best ever apartment syndication book. And after you read the reviews, when you buy it, email the receipt to info at joefairless.com and we'll get you a bunch of goodies. Um, just mention that you heard about the, you know, the gift um, on the show. Awesome. Thank you for coming on, Joe. I really appreciate your time. Enjoyed it. Hey, listener, go get this book. It is incredible. Joe spent a year on it for a reason. Uh, Joe, I really appreciate your time. And until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.